Hello and welcome to this episode of The Square. Today we're talking about neurodiversity in the office and we're in our LA office with Sean Kim, Vice President and Interior Studio Leader at Corgan. Welcome, Sean. Thank you, Poonam. Great to see you. Good to see you also, Sean. Sean, I'm so glad that we're talking about neurodiversity in the workplace. You know, August is Wellness Month, and yes. while we continue to focus on wellness in the traditional sense, I think there's been a long overdue attention on mental health recently, um, and maybe less so on neurodiversity, all of those things related to the differences in the way that we perceive our surroundings and maybe even learn. Can you talk to me a little bit about how you're seeing this play out in the workplace a little bit? You know, Poonam, we're in a talent war, whether you're in the tech company or even in design or in really any sector in our world, there is this massive talent uh, that people are trying to recruit and also retain. And one thing that's been really coming out in um, strongly in, 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 in the media is that the people who we want to attract, people who have great skills in storytelling and problem solving, um, are people with they have a little bit more of a sensitivity to the environment. We call them neurodiverse. Um, and what that really means is that, you know, you and I are probably what they call neurotypical. These people have a little extra sensitivity to environments. And so, to just consequently, those people have the talents that we want. And it's paying off greatly for companies like IBM and Hewlett Packard and Google. They're able to attract these really talented people, but they're realizing that environment isn't really one size fits all. We knew that way back when, but now there's extra attention paying to um, what, what they require. It's so true, this idea of there's not a one size fits all solution. And uh, as we think about the evolution of the workplace becoming more and more personal, considering our or wellness from a more holistic sense, social wellness, physical wellness, or circadian rhythm, all of that. It only makes sense that this sort of extension and evolution of neurodiversity is the next step. But we're seeing that even the future job seekers are looking for this too, mm -hmm. right? We saw in, in very recent years, job seekers were looking for the sit-to-stand desk. They were looking for work-life balance. They were looking for healthy, maybe even local food options. And now they're looking more and more for spaces that speak to the different ways that we learn, collaborate, work, and even perceive our environment. Can you talk to me a little bit about that? Yeah, I mean, if you look at the statistics, which is quite astounding, um, 15 to 20 people, 20, 15 to 20% of the people are neurodiverse. What that means is that some people are having issues with autism, some people are having issues with dyslexia or attention uh, deficit disorder. And so how people work, how they learn, it's not only not one size fits all in the physical environment, but how people actually function in the workplace is very different. You know, we react to stimulus differently. Some people are more sensitive to sound, some people are more sensitive to light, some people are more sensitive to distractions. And so, you know, with this, there's been a big push for open office um, but now there's a big push to making sure that we have choice yeah. and offering variety in terms of how we work, when we work, and who we work with. Yeah, lots of reports also for everyone from Harvard Business Review to HR Dive and all of the sort mm -hmm. of HR recruitment outlets are talking about how Gen Zers are really looking for this. They're looking for wellness. They're looking for, you know, 
biophilic elements and healthy food options, but they're also looking for spaces that say, hey, we care about the differences in the ways that we work and learn and relate to each other. And we've taken these interventions to demonstrate and articulate those values. Um, can you sh- can you share with me a little bit about some of the trends you're seeing? I think it's really piggy- piggybacking on all of the great work that we've been doing as designers um, in terms of creating that sense of belonging, the sense of choice and variety. It's really being more sensitive to more the new- neurobiological needs of each, each individual worker. So it's not like, you know, there's a big push to change everything, but it's being even more sensitive to specific needs. So rather than trying to fit people into our environment, you know, it's really about going beyond beautiful spaces. We all have beautiful spaces, but they also have to function. And I think in the last two, three years now, the pandemic has really driven that home. People have gotten used to working the way they want to at their own time, at their own pace, their own comfort level. Mm -hmm. And since we're now returning to work in force in in masses, people are looking for that same kind of sensitivity they would normally get, same sort of choice, same sort of uh, options in terms of, um, you know, do I want to do more heads down space? So we want to make sure we're creating um, spaces that are really away from traffic areas and and enables you to do a little bit more heads down focus. And Gen Z specifically probably had the benefit of education kind of keeping up with this too, right? Because schools have really had that pressure and demand to meet neurodiverse populations, right? Understanding the different ways that students engage with each other and with their curriculums. So I think that as these newer generations have had that benefit of environments adapting to their differences and celebrating them and accommodating them, it's it's interesting to see that growing pressure from upcoming workforces. How do you think this is going to benefit or what what do you think this means for clients, even in, in recruitment and retention? So providing your employees or staff choice is never a bad thing. You know, offering more diverse, neurodiverse, inclusive environment is just good for everybody, right? It's providing that option for whether you are neurotypical or neurodiverse. It's about being a little bit more sensitive and, you know, instead of forcing people into environments that we design, we are creating environments that adapt to each individual needs. I think that's really the switch. And you mentioned earlier that war on talent, right? So I would imagine that even beyond just recruiting Gen Zers, that giving giving people places where they feel comfortable and do their best work would also support that need and that, that demand that clients create spaces where people feel like they belong and that they're comfortable because, I mean, we know that this war on talent isn't relenting. Yeah, I mean, I think the benefit, I mean, being more inclusive, diverse workplace is always, it's, it's the right thing to do. But beyond that is that, you know, you're able to attract more diverse talent, mm-hmm. um, maybe not your typical talent, and offering a place that is welcoming to everyone not only your physical limitations, but your diversity in terms of how we think and work, 
you know, before it was, it was, you were trying to fit into this mold or a cookie cutter mold. Now we're trying to track all sorts of diverse talents because from a business point of view, you know, it pays off. Yeah. It is profitable to have those kinds of people working right. for you and creating um, incredible products and solutions. Yeah. So let's talk about some of these solutions, these design solutions. Okay. Um, how do you, you mentioned earlier, a lot of it has to do with stimulation to create spaces where people feel comfortable, that they can be their best. I, I would imagine that there's kind of some major buckets that we can focus on. Can you talk to me about what major areas you think clients can pay attention to? Yeah, I mean, there's some spatial design strategies. Um, you know, a simple design solution is creating sense of rhythm in the space. So it feels there's a sense of order and also they feel comfortable. Um, and for people who are dyslexic, who really don't read signs very well, making sure we have these landmarks. Maybe there's a beautiful art piece behind the reception desk, or there's a monumental staircase. Creating these uh, monuments or moments where they can remember rather than resorting to signage. Um, I think those are two spatial yeah. strategies. I think we've previously even at Corgan kind of explored this idea of creating some levels of predictability in organizations so then, then that way you're able to customize and personalize your experience as you move through that kind yeah. of space right if you know what what's expected and how to get someplace now you can go ahead and make it your own yeah and then also too um, you know things like I mean we talked about choice before but making sure that choice are available to everybody not just the senior level people or um but there is really inclusion in in making sure that everybody has an access to a heads down focus space yeah. everyone has access to nature everybody has you know uh access to more socially diverse environment for those people who really want that social engagement um and also having a simple respite places maybe as a lounge chair or a place away from a high traffic area so you can sort of gather yourself yeah. or step away from your desk, you know? Because like you mentioned, there's the, there's the pop, there's some popular office typologies, the open office, the centralized kitchen, you know, these major high traffic corridors, but giving people a mix of volumes and, and spatial types allows people to kind of be able to have a selection. You can have those strategies of in, uh, creating a little bit more barriers, creating more acoustical privacy, but now you have all sorts of design solutions so it doesn't feel like you're creating these barriers, but they're actually to help mitigate sound, sight, and light. Yeah, how else are you seeing folks be able to manage and personalize sens like sensory distractions like, like sound and lighting? What are some other solutions you're seeing? You know, not too long ago, you know, wearing earbuds was sort of frowned upon. Yeah. But for neurodiverse people, when they need to really, you know, protect themselves from the, from the stimulus, that's really a good solution. As long as you communicate that and there's a real need and it's not just to avoid work. I think that's something simple as offering that. Or for somebody with a neurodiverse is having a mentor. You know, having that one person that you could go to for addressing these kinds of needs. Yeah. And these solutions really don't cost. It's really about, you know, making sure that we are aware and, you're, and you are um, 
supporting the neurodiverse population. Right. So it sounds like there's some policy changes as well as design changes. And when it comes to design, I think there's also very, I've I've been hearing about innovative materials and technologies that can help baffle sound or help filter light. Can you talk to me about what's on the market now? Um, you know, PET is a great material uh, for acoustical material. It's not only is it recycled, you know, plastic water bottles, but it comes in all shapes and sizes. They can create uh, barriers and screens and light fixtures and ceiling features that can really mitigate sound. And beautiful ones, And too. beautiful. Yeah. Really, really stunning. Yeah. Um, and so there's, there's not a lack of product in the market, you know, and also having simple as a phone booth or a privacy booth. You know, we're working with a client, they wanted 16 phone booths. You know, a few years ago, that was that seemed to be a lot. So solutions that doesn't require construction, um, solution that could be removed or added, uh, that could be scalable, things, things like privacy booths is really, really popular. And are you talking about even like respite pods that kind of Absolutely. create these yeah. enclosures? Or, you know, making sure the wellness room is inclusive for everyone, not just mothers, because typically that's what it's for. Yeah. But for anyone, if you wanted to have a little bit of respite or you want to stretch or do a little bit of yoga, I think it's really, really important. Like we have phone boots, you know, we have converted one of them to be a mother's room slash, you know, wellness room. Um, So I think just being sensitive that, you know, I know real estate costs but I think the cost really um, outweighs the benefits. Um, I've also heard of airports recently putting in sensory rooms for neurodivergent populations, Mm. Um, rooms where the lighting's dimmed, there's aromatherapy, maybe even like a lava lamp, right? Um, How do you think you can implement some of these more maybe cutting edge or out of the box design solutions that allow for us to play with sensory elements? Um, I think it's really starting, obviously, you know, it's always great when you start from scratch working with a client, but you can always go back and maybe using more of the temporary uh, privacy pod solutions that doesn't require construction or a lot of cost. We can play with that, and you know, if it's and, and also it's temporary. So if it's something that's being used, it's being you know by the wide population, then you can expand that. Or maybe you want to, when you're ready to do a renovation, you'll be able to include that as part of the design and construction. Yeah, and I think even when we're talking about sensory rooms at airports, I mean those seem like flashy, obviously very valuable, but really yeah. sort of statement big investments maybe. Uh, For a client, I would imagine that even just thinking about all of the different textures and materials that you're using in a space and being mindful of having smooth surfaces or surfaces that are maybe not so scratchy or maybe some that are a little bit more comfortable. It's that mix that we keep going back to, right? Giving people the option to be able to choose. I think materiality is huge because it's not just a visual or aesthetic thing, but now it really supports the neurodiversity as well. you know, if you don't have a lot of natural light, having more reflective surfaces or reflective materials that gives you the perception of light. And of course, making sure we have full spectrum of colors. So you, because when you go outdoors, 
you see all sorts of beautiful colors. We want to make sure that's, you know, being uh, introduced into the interior environment as well. And also, you know, we're in Southern California, so we have access and we have a beautiful courtyard downstairs. We have a terrace, you know, making sure, leveraging an opportunity to, to, uh, utilize those spaces and make sure it's available to everybody. And from a policy point of view, as you, you talked about, that it's okay to be away from your desk. It's okay to be working from your courtyard. It's okay to be working from the terrace, giving people permission to step away from the desk. So, Sean, as we're talking about creating spaces that really accommodate and support and even celebrate neurodivergent populations and really everyone, We've talked about the idea of personalization and choice, allowing people the controls they need to be able to create the environment they need. I think a lot of that goes back to what you said earlier about stimulation and thinking about those major categories that inform how stimulated or maybe overstimulation or understimulation, right? And everything from lighting to sound to spatial organization. Let's talk about that a little bit. Okay. What can you do when it comes to lighting design to help everyone, but specifically even neurodivergent populations, be able to manage their lighting to accommodate what they need? So we're in California and we have really strong Title 24 regulations that really mandate dimmable light almost everywhere and so implementing that that level of sensitivity is pretty easy to do um, especially in newer buildings even with older buildings or legacy buildings is that you can build in dimmers you can build in sensors to make sure that really responds to each individual needs whether they want more or less light and also creating um, smaller rooms where they feel a little bit more safe because you're right when you're in an open office an open environment you do feel a little bit challenged because there's so much so much stimulation that you really want to retreat but we want to make sure that we provide those specific places yeah and when we're talking about light i know even for me if there's a flickering light forget it I'm not going to be able to write a coherent sentence. We, could, we couldn't sit here and have this yeah. conversation if there was a flickering light or if it was too dark. So how do you, what other sort of design interventions can someone think about when it comes to either artificial light or even natural light? I mean, ideally, you want to have natural light come in as much as possible. Um, obviously, you've got shades, uh, mega shades, um, and also, you know, What's really great are these LED light fixtures are really portable. They look like little globes or little little lanterns. You know, having those around so you could literally take light with you uh, wherever you go, and they're all dimmable, and it kind of gives you a little more, a uh, little portable, um, accessible lighting for you. Do you find that um, there's also a need to mix lighting temperature and lighting color? Ooh, that's kind of getting into lighting design territory. Yeah, okay. But definitely, um, you know, we want to be sensitive to, you know, are cool lights better than warm light? Typically, we want to be bathed in warm, soft lighting. And I don't think, you know, I think that you can definitely create that with LED lighting because now everything has to be LED because it's got to be dimmable, at least in Southern California, in, in California. And so you can, you can choose the light temperature 
um, whether you want it to be cooler or warmer. So that's already in the market. So earlier you mentioned popping in earplugs. I am a huge fan of Beats, and I wear the big giant ones that go over my ears so that everyone knows I'm very, very busy, right? <laughs> I'm very busy. Um, but it really does kind of help me block out some of the sound. Um, but I can't have lyrics. I can't have lyrics playing when I'm when I'm writing. I have to have just instrumental music. I find though that that sound is so it impacts my ability to focus and concentrate mm -hmm. so much. How can we allow people to be able to find the right environment for them when it comes to sound without having to necessarily put in earplugs or, or have to carry around beats? Because sometimes they run out of batteries. <laughs> um, I think we talked about before is that I think we want to create environments they can... Um, I say escape, that sounds a little harsh, but they can retreat to, whether it's a privacy pod or a phone booth, or maybe it's just, um, you know, sometimes it's okay to have four walls and without light, because there's been so much investment in terms of bringing natural light, because sometimes you really want to be stimulus, stimulus-less environment so you can focus mm -hmm. for those people who really need, uh, who are severely impacted by the external stimulus. As people are returning to the office, we're seeing some of that energy, that excitement of being back in person, but that also means a little extra noise, right? Side conversations, people having a quick meeting, maybe a printer jam. How do you manage some of the acoustical distractions of being in sometimes even an open office? It's a really popular typology. How, do, how can design help to mitigate some of that stimulation? I think it comes from great planning you know, working with an acoustical engineer because they're really the experts. Um, making sure that you have, uh, if you, making sure that you have spaces for heads down space uh, that is away from the traffic. Like zoning? Zoning is a big, neighborhoods, making sure these clusters of collaboration. Um, I think we talked about places of respite or resting. These nooks and crannies, take advantage of those places because people really like those. You know, that they want to retreat, they want to be, they want to reflect, you know, sometimes you're working on a big design or a big, big uh, problem and you just need to go into a quiet, safe zone so you could kind of let your mind, you know, do its thing. And so I think it comes from planning, you know, and even with the office here, you can see there are these collaboration zones, there's phone booths, there are multiple conference rooms. I think... Um, more is better. You can never have small meeting rooms. It seems to be the most popular typology. Yeah. The big boardrooms are really nice, and it's a great impact and statement. But having these smaller meeting and 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 you know privacy booths or pods or collaboration pods that really seem to address not only the neurotypical population but also neurodiverse population as well so zoning that activity can help to manage oh, lots of volume here quieter spaces here right. How about materials like acoustic baffling and all of that i mean materiality is is really one of the key things one of the strategies that we can build in from day one whether you've got acoustical properties in the, in the ceiling, not your typical, your two by four, two by two ceiling, but even the baffles, you can bury or integrate inside the baffles um, 
acoustical material. So it doesn't look acoustical. Mm. It has a high level of design, but it definitely has acoustical properties. You've got ceiling clouds. If you have an open office, you can have ceiling clouds over collaboration zone to mitigate, you know, loud noise distractions. Um, acoustical wall panels, the fabric you choose on your chairs, you know, that also has, high, you can choose fabrics with high acoustical properties. So really, it's like, a, you know, um, a menu list of items that you can apply acoustical materials. Yeah. So we've talked about lighting and acoustics. Certainly huge influencers in terms of like how distracted or, you know, how much stimulation or too little stimulation you might have in your environment. You know, the other day I was thinking about just distractions generally. Whenever I'm on a meeting, I'll see like the teams pop up, Mm -hmm. but I'll also see it pop up on my phone and I'll see someone texting or calling me and someone walking by and maybe someone poked their head. I mean, it's just like endless amounts of distractions and from our day, right? And I think about how how much it can throw me off of my game, and maybe for others it doesn't affect them as much. How do we how do we think about distractions, even mm. especially when you're in an open office, in visual distractions? That's a really good question. I think it's really more of a design solution. So, you know, we want to, you know, what we think about is creating the sense of layering in the space, right? Obviously, open office is here to stay, but you're layering these acoustical panels or decorative acoustical almost partitions. So you create a sense of semi-privacy. It's not so much this, you know, sometimes you need a visual privacy more important than acoustical privacy. Mm-hmm. With today's materials, you can have both. Or even this feature lighting, right? It's the big pendant, but it, that itself is an acoustical yeah. you know, what I call cone of silence. You have lighting you can change and manage, but you also have this cone of silence in this collaboration area. Yeah. So I think starting, you know, it's not about designing beautiful spaces and cool spaces, which we talked about before, but now how, how can we build in choice? How can we build in uh, minimizing distractions? How can we build in that sense of safety? Because I think in today's very dynamic world, um, especially for people who are neurodiverse, that sense of safety is really, really important. So how do you, how do you balance this idea of saying, okay, you know, w- right now so many conference rooms we see are glass walls mm-hmm. or this sort of like fishbowl sort of thing. You might feel on display. You might be distracted by the people walking by. How do you balance maybe mitigating some of that while also preserving that connectivity that they offer? Yeah, I, you know, we... Our, 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 our clients are challenged by that all the time because they want the lightness and the transparency of a glass conference room, but they also need real life privacy when they're looking at very highly sensitive documents or financial documents. And so I think using simple things as a graphic film on the conference room, you still have that transparency and light, but you also provide a sense of privacy as well. I mean, that's just simple design solution. It's so funny that you say that. My favorite conference room in the in the Dallas office is on the ground floor. It has a giant film on it, the our yellow square, and I select that conference room every single time. Mm. I think probably subconsciously because of that, because I feel like there, it allows me to kind of focus in and, and kind of shut down some of the rest of the world. And some of our more sensitive or security sensitive clients, 
we just built in mecco shades inside the conference room so they can just pull the shades down. That's we have that's what we have here. Yeah. So they can also it could be something really low tech as adding shades inside of a conference room or yeah. decorative film. And I've seen even at our Corgan office in Dallas, our we have doors but they have a glass panel in them so you still feel the sense of enclosure but there's connectivity. connectivity. Yep. You kind of poke your head and be like, ah, that's where she is, right? Um, the other, so we've talked a lot about stimulation and mm -hmm. distraction. I think there's also differences in the sort of activity that we need. I know I got my son one of those like popper things or fidget, we saw fidget spinners become really popular in schools. Mm -hmm. um, but just giving people an outlet for, to, to kind of move through their day um, in different ways. How can the office accommodate some of that without maybe literally giving everyone a fidget spinner? Yeah, I think it's um, about providing, uh, again, the choice and control. Um, it could be as simple as a furniture solution, making sure that we have all different postures. Here we've got these stools that you can move around. You can you know, bring them up in a group. Uh, we've got the soft seating that's more like a stair-step seating, so it allows you to kind of be a little bit more informal. We've got cafe tables, you've got outdoor tables. We have, we call this a boardwalk because that was really the inspiration, it was close to the ocean. You know, we have this boardwalk that, you know, if you're a pacer, I'm a pacer, when I'm, when I'm really thinking. Me too. I pace, yeah. it's a great place to kind of pace. Um, and I know, you know, Jan, uh, our project manager, you know, all of a sudden she just gets up and she just starts talking, walking. It's like, oh, I know she she she's on something. I've right? seen I've seen several of our projects even incorporate dedicated sort of circulation paths, and they'll even put markers in for oh, if you made a yeah. lap here, that equals half a mile today, or it's like this a thrive walk. Yeah, or the central staircase that we have, right? Yeah, I, I, you know, we this building is called C three um, Culver Creative collective or something like that c3 and they've done a really great job of building in sort of like adult fun house like downstairs you can play bocce ball there's ping pong table down there there's a pool table that i know our staff loves going down there just for half an hour 20 minutes for that kind of a letting go and having you know having a positive distraction so they can go back to more kind of a heads down focus you know uh work um just even there is there is a path if you want to go. There is a uh, uh, a doggy park. So if you could bring your dog, you know, you could just go to the doggy park with your dog. Um, so I think they done a we've done a really good job of making sure that uh, that you have permission to do those things, whatever you need to do to release that energy, to release whatever tension or stress. And we're lucky that we have all of those things. Yeah. You know, earlier and throughout this conversation, we've tapped a lot on what we've seen in education spaces. Mm -hmm. And it goes back to what we were saying earlier about how the future workforce is, is in many ways driving this conversation, saying, hey, we are looking for this actively. We're looking for spaces that aren't just cool open offices, but that are really thoughtful and say, yeah, it's an open office, but we have some visual dividers for you. Or or we've thought about a mix of spaces so that if you do need some time to focus, you can go do that. Or if you want to go find a place to, to pace, you can do that. But that it really is an articulation of the shared value of diversity and inclusion. And, and a lot of that comes from their experiences in schools. How do, what do you think this is going to mean for the future 
of the office, especially as schools are starting to evolve even more quickly to meeting the different needs of students who maybe have ADHD, dyslexia, autism. How do you think that's going to shape the conversations we're having about the office? Yeah, you know, a lot of the motivators on the public sector is law, right? Um, and I think the the motivator in the private wor- private sector in the corporate world is really, you know, is this profitable for us? Um, in the way that education is allowing all disability to have equal education and equal opportunity, you know, I think it's long overdue that we have that same kind of attention and openness and inclusion um, for people who are neurodiverse. I mean, there are concrete examples of people who are neurodiverse, have incredible talents and gifts that neurotypical people don't have. And it would be, it's beneficial to, especially the larger corporations, to allow those people to be in the workforce make some concessions, that's really good for everyone, Yeah. right? Having less distraction, having more options, having more privacy, having choice is good thing for everyone. Yeah, it's like at one end you have law and profit, but on the other side or maybe an out, another additional outcome of it is just kinder spaces. And I, it's interesting, I came across an article recently that said, how Gen Zers are looking and making their selections on where they work based off of how kind that place Mm. is. I was like, how do you design kindness? And Mm. I think it goes back to so much of this conversation that you and I have had today about creating spaces where we feel comfortable, where we feel accepted and seen and understood, and where we can really kind of be our best. It's that idea of human-centric design, not just to create a space that's cool, but that actually feels good. Yeah, I like the idea that you know, we build these great spaces, but then we choose people to place them rather than thinking the other way around is that we can adapt our environment, you know, instead of expecting them to fit this particular mole, like, you know, a square peg in a, in a, in a round hole. But we are definitely entering a whole new era where our environment can be just as adaptive and create the choice and and be inclusive to everyone. Thank you, Sean, for joining us today. It's been a lot of fun, Poonam. Thank you. Yeah, it's been great chatting. And thank you for joining us on this episode of The Square. If you have any questions about neurodiversity in the office or connecting with Sean, click on the link below. Otherwise, we'll see you on the next episode of The Square.